Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. We have a pretty highly sought after topic today. We actually did a part one. We are talking about some uh, unpopular opinions. We did part one a little while ago. We'll tell you about that in just a second. But first, I want to say hi, Amanda. Hello, Marie. Hello, listeners. It's so good to hear hear from you. Talk to you. Yeah. On the other side of the Shakespeare Festival. I feel like we've been in Shakespeare land for so long. It's so nice to just be on the podcast talking about teacher life stuff today. Yeah, Amanda and I, and you know, if you've been a longtime listener, you've seen that we kind of ebb and flow between super niche content and then like, let's just talk about teaching and like being a teacher, etc. Today's going to be one of those teaching and being a teacher days. And we are in that season right now. And we are very excited. It's been a minute since Amanda and I got to like, sit down and record together. And uh, we love it. I we tell you all the time, but we really do love it. It is the best part of our weeks. So it's refreshing, it's cathartic, and hopefully what we, our conversation is something that we're actually having with you as well. Even though you're not actually here with us, we know that you're with us on your run and your car. Uh, however, you're digesting us. We're happy to be there. Absolutely. We are. And it's warming up. I don't know about you. Well, we were just talking a little bit about yeah. weather where she's at. It's warming up here in San Diego where it is 80 degrees today. So it is getting wow. hot, hot. Yeah, it's one of those, like, you leave the house in the morning, and it's 
46 degrees and then you get home and it's 79. And I mean, it's that part of it's irritating, but this whole idea of like fresh and new and it's spring is what this means. So like we're ready to start talking about some fresh new topics. It's spring. Amanda was just telling me that some of her seeds that she planted are coming up. We've got new life here, new ideas. I'm going too far into this hole. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. It's like, you know, I think that the winter, like coming out of February and even into March, I can even hear it in your voice. Like Marie, it's, it's a, it is a March to get to the end of March. And like, really like, that's always when our Midwest, we, we take a spring break. We don't have a February break. So for us, you know, we've gone one month, two months, three months, virtually straight. You know, we had like MLK day, maybe, and maybe president's day, but for the most part it is, we call it, it's usually a third quarter, depending on where you're at school, but third quarter is rough. Um, and so it's exciting to be like looking at the weather changing and seed sprouting. Cause like if the weather's changing, that means school's heading in the right direction, which is toward summer. Yeah. And it's not that we like, don't enjoy the like second half or the last quarter of the year. That's not it at all. It's just that there's an energy shift when you're looking towards a big break, right? There's an energy shift in students. There's an energy shift in us. There's, there's just a, I mean, spring is fun, right? Like it's new and different and the trees and the flowers smell amazing and all of that good stuff. Yeah, we we have a February break. Like we have a week off in February. I spent that with COVID with my children. So fun. <laughs> yes. So that was less than optimal. We all got pretty sick. And then... That next week, we actually didn't even go back to school. So I've had two full weeks of school since like quarantining, having COVID-19 with my kids. And I'm like still feeling it. I'm still tired and fatigued, but like it's still, it's time, right? It's mid-March. It's time. It's starting to feel like, okay, we can do this. Spring break is coming. And then a lot of the fun stuff that happens at the end of the year is just like really exciting. So it's, I think that it's for me too. Like, it's never like, I'm never racing to the end, but I do kind of like that the spring season has more, I don't know, breaks that help me break up units. I feel like when you're in a a January, February unit could be the exact same number of days as an April, May unit, but like they have totally different auras and like the, the feeling of being in them is so significantly different. Just like, just like you said, the energy, um, which we can talk about this in another episode, but that's why I never, ever, ever do big, long novels in January, February. We always try to do like a research paper or a play, something that already had its own kind of breaks, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. And I am just, just so excited to talk with you again. So I know, same, me too. This is probably one of the (laughs) longest intros we've done in a minute. So we are going to get in some unpopular opinions, part two. If you did not hear the first time that we did unpopular opinions, that was, and I already forgot. We looked at the episode number before we started. 82. I was like, dang it. It was in there. And then we got yapping. Uh, Episode 82 of the podcast was Unpopular Opinions Part 1. Here we have for you Part 2. And uh, let's get into it. It's time to cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. 
And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right, Brave New Teaching friends, we have four unpopular opinions. Last time we had three unpopular opinions that we chit-chatted about, and this time we have four. And they all come from you, our listeners. And don't you worry, we have many things to say about them. Amanda, do you want to introduce the first one? I do, because I totally resonate with the first one. So we pulled our audience on Instagram a while ago. And so we were pulling these from sticker responses. And this response cracked me up. Um, This teacher said, I'm not trying to be antisocial. I just really like to eat alone. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel that so much. I I don't know. There are a lot of reasons why I never really wanted to eat in the group, whether that was the teacher's lounge, the office, any kind of group. I just, I don't know. After being around kids all day, I really appreciated the solitude of eating by myself. (laughs) I really liked it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a stimulation break, right? Like it's like a no noise or it's the noise that you choose. (laughs) It's you don't have to do. Yeah, you just get to power down. And sometimes that's completely necessary. And and like, I'm one of the first to say, get out of your classroom, go talk to people, socialize, like it's hard, but the effort is worth it. But I'm going to say that, like, if you don't have anything else to give, don't try to keep giving. Right? Like, oh, yeah, it's okay. I'd rather go to a, an event after school with people than eat lunch with people during the day. Sure. How long was your lunch? Like average? First, my first school, 25 minutes. My second school, 50. So ours is 30 minutes, bell to bell, 30 minutes. And then there's an eight minute passing period at the end, but 30 minute lunch. The first part of my career, I would spend it in my room because I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't leave. And that's kind of like where then my advice comes from of like, get out of your room. Yeah. (laughs) Because then I would also get guilted into letting kids in. Like it was just a whole Uh young me thing that just didn't need to be happening because then I was just like bleeding energy everywhere. Like there was no recouping energy. Now I'm in a place where if I don't get to spend lunch with my department friends, like, like we sit together, it is rejuvenating, but I I know not everybody's experience is that way. Right. So it's kind of like find what works for you, but I will say this, there's a healthy balance to be met. I think between eating all by yourself and eating with people around you all the time. And it's it, it has a lot of like kind of soul searching to figure out what that balance looks like for each person. Like Amanda was saying, she's a go to an event after school person and uh, let me have my silence during the day person. And I am very much a, I 3.30 p.m. I might go to sleep because I'm so tired because I get up so early. <laughs> so I better get my socializing done earlier <laughs> like during lunch. Well, and it's a stages of life thing too. So give yourself a break. You know, I think... Um, I've been in school situations where the lunch crew was a toxic, poisonous place to be. And I didn't want to be a good point. Yes. Um, And not every school has that problem. Not even every lunch hour has that problem. You know, sometimes the place was not a productive place for me, even if it was just silly. But, you know, I've seen and not wanted to be part of some of that toxicity. And that's just for me, I just 
blame it on wanting solitude sometimes. And then <laughs> other, other stages of life, like, I mean, perfectly honest, like when, especially when I was a new mom, I worked straight through every second free second I had during the school day. So when I got home, I dumped everything and did nothing. I was still behind, but I needed to squeeze in work during the work day because when I was on duty, when I got home, I was not picking up my computer. I was not grading a single thing. So, you know, but every stage of life and even every just year to year, semester to semester, that changes. So I think it's totally healthy to reflect on where you are and proceed accordingly. But, you know, it is really important to stay social, but it just might not be during lunch. Yeah, well, and you might not, I mean... I'm very lucky. Like, you know, a lot of teachers I know just don't have that connection to the people around them or like the comfort level or right. And like, just feel like they're giving, giving, giving. And by giving, I mean, just like giving energy by listening. Even it's, it can be really hard and we have to like protect that a little bit. So yeah. Okay. Our next unpopular opinion, I find interesting. Very interesting. So this unpopular opinion is about writing assignments, but I guess you could kind of translate this to a lot of different things where there's like a certain amount of work that students are required. This is the unpopular opinion that assignments should not have page counts or word counts. They should just be open. I deliver the floor to you, Amanda. Well, so (laughs) there wasn't a should attached. So I don't know if this person has another, like an alternate or not, but it was mostly like no to page counts and no to word counts. I have been in situations where I think I actually, so if we were to look at those two, I prefer word count over page count if we are going to count something. And it also depends on the reason that count is being given. I think, you know, some situations I've been in when, when either of those numbers is arbitrary and -hmm. for the sake of being there, problematic or completely agree. But other times I have seen structures like that be very helpful in guiding students so that they're not guessing or writing into oblivion or overwriting or underwriting. It kind of does help them where it becomes a huge problem is when kids are faking their way through and forgetting about the content and just trying to fulfill a checklist. So one of the things that I would say that we've done to amend that is like, I can give page number or word count guidelines, but they're not attached to the rubric. Um, So I've seen that be kind of like the nice, I'm not trying to beat around the bush. I've actually been in this bush. (laughs) And I think, I think it is problematic to say like an A paper will be X number of pages, but a B paper will be X number of pages or, you know, like to really delineate that, that to me is where we fall into territory. That's really a, a grading conversation. And I don't think that's grading for equity. No, I agree. I mean, I think there is, though, like to counter what you just said, there is something to be said for met requirements didn't meet requirements on like a grading scale situation. It's just kind of like, did you follow directions? I lean towards, so I would have two reasons. I lean towards word counts. I've actually gotten away from page counts, much like you were just saying. And I lean towards word counts. And I think a lot of that is because I've been teaching the higher grades the last couple of years. And so like seniors this year, I did a lot of helping them brainstorm. We did a whole thing in the fall on college apps and like those kind. not that everybody was writing college apps essays, even kids, some kids that were applying to college didn't have essays to write, but still having them write like a personal statement that was limited to a word count. Mm. I'm finding that limiting the word count 
really hones in on writing skills. Like it makes specificity uh, happen. It makes them be concise. It just, even like when we're talking Sesame Street quizzes, right? Like limiting the number of sentences. It's not one to two sentences. It's two sentences of a response, full stop. And kids get very uncomfortable with that until they start getting better at structuring better sentences. And it's it's like intrinsic or not intrinsic. It's it's a built in grammar lessons too. So like that, I have found extremely useful, like extremely useful in my classroom. But then the other thing that I find extremely useful on the complete flip side of that coin is when they say, "Well, how long does does this need to be?" And I say, "Long enough." And then they. F- fall apart. No, but that, that also has to be at a certain point, right? Like it has to be appropriately placed that kind of an assignment for my class where we've gone through and like the scaffolding has slowly, but surely come down. So we're at a point where I can give them a prompt. Like I'm going to say a writing assignment and it doesn't have a length on it. And they say, how long does it need to be? And I say long enough that you fully address the prompt. And then they have to be equipped to be able to do that, right? Like I can't do that right out of the bat because that's just mean and setting them up for failure. But they each have their own use. And exactly like you said, it all has to do with why. And so this is not an unpopular opinion, but it's like a sidebar. Like we don't talk about Bruno, dirty little secret about (laughs) teaching. No, no, no. What Marie is describing is something that is definitely hard to talk about. And that is that Marie is describing teaching writing we know and have seen, and I'm sure you're all going to shake your head. Like there's a difference between what Maria's describing and assigning a paper. Oh yes. So we see that a lot in our discipline teachers who will say, this is the assignment. It has these requirements. It's due in five days. You have five work days. Crickets. And that might be the the heart of where I say, absolutely, page page counts and, and page limits and word counts and word limits are ridiculous if there's no purpose or instruction going along with the fact that, you know, I feel like, what do I spend the most of my instruction on? It's the construction of a high quality body paragraph. Mm-hmm. If you're constructing two, three, four, and that's, that goes with five paragraph essay, the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't need to be five. It could be four. It could be three. It could be two. We could be skipping the introduction. Sometimes my kids just write a claim mm-hmm. and then they write the whole paper body paragraphs. And I don't care about your effing introduction or your attention getter. That's besides the point because we're working on claims, evidence, and reasoning. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to be said for, are we assigning or are we teaching? And if we're assigning why? Like, are the students at a point that they can be independent? They've been, you know, prepared for this moment. Those are the really big considerations, I think, that come out of this little tiny unpopular opinion. Well, yeah, because I just, I think that saying no page counts and no word counts is inappropriate in some settings. Like, I think it sets kids up for it's too nebulous. And I'm, I'm guaranteeing the teacher who wrote that is probably like, well, that's not what I meant. But like when I see it, like, thanks a lot, Marie. But like, I because I've done this. And the reason I know all of this is because I've done this. I've made all the mistakes. Next week's episode is going to be a solo show with just me. And I'm going to tell you how I broke my students' brains this week. <laughs> I broke their brains and it was 40% my fault. And 60%, they just need to like suck it up. That's your spoiler alert for next week. But but like part of it too is just like I've done these things and I've given too few instructions when it was needed and too many when it wasn't needed and didn't let students 
grow in the in between. Yeah. 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 I think that's fair. I think that's a fair way to round out that comment. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Got us. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, hello, brave new teachers. Pardon the interruption. I wanted to invite you all to a pretty cool opportunity. Some of you have already had this, and some of you have just heard us talk about it quite a bit. Amanda and I have a masterclass that is all about uh, designing and delivering formative assessments to students in ways that are really useful and purposeful and extremely equitable and inclusive in our classrooms. And so I wanted to make sure that you all have the opportunity to join us. It is our masterclass called Down With the Reading Quiz, Formative Assessments for a New Generation. And it is something that we put together, gosh, almost a year and a half ago, where we go through three different types of formative assessments that we use in our own classrooms that provide quite a bit of equitable and inclusive feedback for us and for our students about what students are actually really learning. We show you how to design and create and then implement and grade formative assessments that deal with students actually synthesizing information instead of regurgitating what they think you think they should know, but actually showing what they can synthesize. It also has different strategies for assessing analytical skills, and then another strategy or two for assessing student writing skills in a formative way, and all the while also assessing student understanding comprehension, whether that's reading or just understanding of a lesson. We give three different strategies for formative assessments. We absolutely love it. We have had hundreds of teachers come through this masterclass and say it is changing the way that they uh, approach assessment, formative assessment anyways, in their classrooms. And so we wanted to make sure that you knew about it. Uh, If you would like to register for free and actually watch it immediately, you can head to bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass or the show notes for this episode. Cannot wait to see you all there. Again, that is bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass. Join us for Down With The Reading Quiz and see the results in your classroom really change it all for the better. It is a true game changer. All right, back to the show. Okay, so this next conversation is related. We're going to kind of just keep moving in this conversation about grades and things. The next unpopular opinion is there were two ways it was it was phrased. First was grades don't matter. And the other was grades shouldn't exist. Marie, why don't you take that one? Listen, I'd love to live in that world as well. Like, yeah, that sounds great. Grades don't matter. Everybody just wants to like learn and like grow. Grades shouldn't exist. Why put kids in a box? Uh, Because we're in a much larger system. Like there's that piece of it. (sighs) Because I feel that way sometimes too, where I'm like, who cares what grades you get, guys? You can't even write a sentence. Like help me out here. But then I'm a parent now of two elementary school age kids And I don't know what I don't know. And what I do know is that I can tell a score, right? Like I can, I need to read measurement to be able to understand what's happening in my son's third grade curriculum. Because if I can't read that measurement, if there's nothing for me to read, then I need to learn the entire curriculum and then assess for myself how much he's learned. Do you know what I mean? Like there, these are tools. I think that think they matter. I think that they are useful. And I think that they are overinflated and overused 
they're given too much. And I think that, you know, teachers have too much on their plates. And unfortunately, I think grading and assessment conversations are so intellectually overwhelming sometimes that they get pushed to the side. I sure. mean, a real, I mean, this is not a lunch conversation <laughs> to sit to down circle and back. Yeah. You know, sitting down with a group of teachers to discuss components of a rubric and how they line up and if they're working and if they're not, and then realizing that in two or three years, you're going to have to change them again anyway. Like it's exhausting. It's best mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, grades should do what you're describing. They should be informative to both students, their caregivers, you know, their IEP coordinators, other people in the school, their coaches, there needs to be to know they're like a communication tool through all for all stakeholders. But when they're the end, all be all. And I think that's where this, this comment comes from is that like, when kids are in the business of just jumping through hoops, because they're point grabbing, that's where it's damaging. It's super damaging. And like I said, I mean, I really do think there are ways to remedy it, ways to get your school to do better. But the problem I always ran into is like all the fixes I found and the ways that I found grading to be really supportive and helpful and informative. It died after the kids left me. And like even during the day, my grading practices were different than the seven other teachers on the roster. So it didn't even matter because then it was actually more confusing because they're like, okay, how come he's got a blah, blah, blah in your blah, 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 and you're using code, blah, 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 but I don't understand. So it just became like, okay, well, I'm doing this more fairly, more, I feel like more correctly, more like better representative of what the student can do. But the communication of that was different. So mm-hmm. therefore it became another barrier. And so if it's not your whole school going after a better practice, I can see where it's so frustrating to just doing, to do the grade dance. It's awful. Oh yeah. Well, and even within a department, like if, if my English class and your English class have different grading practices, which I'm going to feel very safe to say that 90% do like, yeah, I can't imagine that more than 10% of the departments in America and other areas are all doing the same thing. Like, come on. And therefore, uh, it illegitimizes something, you know, I mean, it makes it very hard. But to your point, like, when are you gonna have that conversation? So hard, it, right? Because it's a big, it's a big one. And there's a lot of competing philosophies out there. And it's really hard to voice your opinion if you're feeling like you're too new, or you're too veteran, yeah. or you're too this, you're always too something. And it's, it's really hard. And I think, department chairs as well. Like I think a lot of this rests on their shoulders, but so does a lot of other stuff. And so, you know, and these, these curriculum conversations go through cycles. And so, you know, you you could have it one year, but it's something that has to happen all the time. No, the Um, pendulum is always swinging. Absolutely. And it's exhausting. Um, I'm going to say something that's kind of spicy and it might ruffle some feathers that I think that grades are necessary. Actually. I think that it's also, I get the argument that grades set students up to just try to meet the mark, meet the mark, meet the mark. I also don't know that meeting the mark is that bad all the time. I think that a certain amount of meeting a mark is understanding your own foundation, like where you're at. Like I went and got my driver's license. I either had the skills to drive or I did not 
have skills to drive and get a California driver's license. Like those are real parts of life. And if school is something that is setting our kids up for being a member of society, then like looking at those real hard parts of society that are maybe like emotionally harsh, I I will always think that students need the opportunity to learn how to fail and learn how to fail in a way that's like reflective of the real world. I'm not saying that putting a, you know, 60% D on a third graders math test is appropriate, because I do not think that that is appropriate. I do, however, think that it is appropriate for a student to be able to study, test their skills, see how they did, with the caveat that then they get to keep learning, right? And they get to keep improving and that grades are not the thing that are going to hold them back, but they're the things that are going to help them measure, like used as a tool. And to your point, and this kind of goes back to the the papers and page limits and things, the bigger conversation really is what are we grading and how are we grading it? And why? And, and yes. why? Yes. What purpose does it serve? When are the chances for revision? What what is what does the structure of assessment in your school look like? You know, we teach in curriculum rehab so much about backwards planning. It's a best practice that I have yet to work in a department where that is like the common practice. And that's not to shame anyone. That's just it is it is something that we know is good to do, we know is best practice, but other things get kind of shoved in the way and have to get done. But if our curriculums are set up the way that they should be, which is with the end in mind, skill focused mm-hmm. and designed so that students are practicing the same skills over and over during the unit that they're going to be assessed on, you better believe I believe in that grade. You better believe I can point and click. I know exactly who got this, who got that, and who's, and I can predict to almost to the T who's going to get what grade on that assessment because I've watched them do that close reading skill. I've watched them do that writing skill for the last six weeks and I've seen their improvement or I've seen them struggle and then I've intervened at week three, you know? So like if we're Mm -hmm. looking really at that, I don't think it's so much a question of that they shouldn't exist, but we should really be careful about how they're set up and what they're measuring and how that trajectory is supposed to all feed into itself. Right. What purpose they're serving in the continuum of learning, right? Like, yeah, because it is all interconnected. And and that goes back to assessment. That goes back to so many different things. But like, I have to disagree with this one. Grades matter. I think they do. Yeah. But I, I can so see too. being in a school where you're just like over. Right. Where it's beat out of you. <laughs> I can totally <laughs> see that too. Like, you're like, no, flowers. We're just There's an flowers. episode of Arrested Development and um, yes. Maybie's going to school and <laughs> she's getting unicorns and rainbows. Oh my gosh. I just yeah. was cracking up. I was thinking about that the whole time you were talking about <laughs> that episode. <laughs> that was totally, that's, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it is so hard because it's so subjective, too, that, like, what's going to work for your students might not work for my students, et cetera. And, I mean, and again, even, like, generation divides, right? Like, our students' parents are going, well, that's not how it happened when I was in school. And, like, that logic is the same as saying, well, that's not what my broken arm felt like, so yours must not be right. You know, like, it's like, that's that's the transfer of the logic there. And it just... It feels right to say that because it's like, well, come on, I've done this before. This should work this way. But it just doesn't make sense. We And we just need to be patient and have that evolution conversation about what grading look like, what grading looks like, yeah. can look like, should look like. And, you know, I, I've stepped away from the classroom this year. And one of the like one of the things that I've seen that kind of breaks my heart 
is that this is the first time I've quote unquote, like spent time in people's classrooms outside of Illinois. And I have just learned so much about how other schools do things that didn't need to be reserved for this time in my life. Like I kind of wish I would have, you know, seen like, what is it like to teach in, be a student teacher in Santa Monica? What is it like to be a veteran teacher Mm -hmm. in Long Island? Like I've seen these other, these classrooms and how they all function so differently. And like, it would have been so helpful to have had a bigger picture and like a greater, more interconnected community of teachers to have these big picture kind of conversations. So that's not for today, but I do think it's really powerful to look at other places at how they're doing it. When these things become difficult or contentious, it can be really helpful. But yeah, I mean, somebody's invented this wheel. So let's like reach out to our right? To like anybody. Schools are so isolated. It's unbelievable. I know. For being such huge communities within themselves, they're not connected to each other at all. There are even moments sometimes where our leadership team will sit there and we'll be like, we're going to, we're like knee deep in in an issue and we're figuring it out. And then one of us will go, well, there's five high schools in our district. What are the other ones doing? Oh yeah, we should. And like, I know this happens in other places. We go, oh my God. Yeah. We should totally just ask them. And it's, it's not like a, well, we're better. We're going to figure it's just, you just get so in the weeds that you like forget to come up for air. Yeah. Which is one of the, you know, of all the negative time sucks and, you know, energy sucks of social media. It is that one place where we can start to be, be using it for that reason. Um, Facebook groups, there are a lot of great Facebook groups where these conversations happen. Um, could be really helpful. I think. Even with our most recent Shakespeare Festival and like the ongoing Facebook group with Curriculum Rehab, there are just amazing ways that people share and say like, not sure if this would work with your school, but here's something we've done, right? Or here's what my schedule looks like. Maybe this can be helpful. And it's just those little moments of sharing that like create huge breakthroughs in ways that we could never imagine because again, we're so in the weeds that we don't look up to see what everybody else is doing. Shall we talk about our fourth? Our fourth one. I'm going to try and keep it tight. This one, I really really believe in this one. Go for it. Okay. So the fourth one is all about general ed or like college prep level classes and honors level classes. And the idea that the curriculum should be exactly the same from the lessons to the practice to the assessments, all of it should be exactly the same. In an honors level, it should be much less scaffolding. And in a general ed uh, college prep, I should be saying college prep, not general ed. Sorry, you know what I mean? In a college prep situation, it should be far more scaffolded. Discuss. I have a lot of feelings about this. Um, this is this is how I set up discussions in my classroom. I over explain them. And then I just say discuss. discuss. And then I moonwalk. <laughs> um, so in general, I, I agree with this unpopular opinion. I feel like but not for just like the blanket description that we started off with here. I think there, there are a, a lot of things at consideration and at play in this conversation. And one is that in most of the schools that I've been at, honors classes t- tend to get this very elevated special treatment that I think is BS that other classes don't don't get it. I mean, they're they're written off as gen ed. They're written off as not as important sometimes. And that they're called regular. They're called regular. And like, so which, which, which seems hurtful and I don't know why, but it does. Well, and you get talk about getting in the weeds. Like we just, that language just happens because it does over time. And it just becomes, you know, we assimilate to that. I've always taught 
gen ed classes, co-taught classes for the most part. That's been my bread and butter for my career. I only recently started teaching honors level, AP level classes. And to my complete and total dismay, when I finally learned what AP Lang was, I was furious that we were not using AP Lang as a starting point and backwards planning or backwards scaffolding from there. Does every gen ed class need to look identical to an honors level or an AP level class? Absolutely not. But should all juniors be focusing on rhetoric and learning how to be educated citizens that are making decisions? Uh, yeah. Oh, it just makes me crazy that I just, I don't know. And this is Lang. I've never taught honors at the ninth or 10th or 12th grade level. I've only taught Lang. That's the only honors level I've ever taught. And that was very late in my career. Um, and I just found the course with all the issues that college board has, I found AP Lang to be the most valuable course and curriculum that I've ever seen. And I was so sad that more students aren't exposed to the principles, ideas, and the big picture thinking and kind of written off like they couldn't handle it. Because you better believe the minute I learned AP Lang, I restructured everything in my gen ed class. And we did a lot of the same things. Um, because also, and I know I'm, I'm going to finish after this, a gen ed kid and an AP kid, they could have been one or the other any day of the week, some of them. I have a lot of students who were in my gen ed class by choice because they have sports or they have jobs or they have commitments that they didn't, they didn't think an AP level course would give them the time they needed after school to commit to other things. So those students had a lesser curriculum in some ways, like, wait a second, like, I don't know. And I think that that points directly to the conception, whether it's a misconception or if it's spot on, that often harder means more. Or like rigorous means just more stuff, which sure, having more to do in the same amount of time as everybody else is more rigorous, but is it impactful? Is it meaningful? Is it is it fulfilling its obligations to be educational? Or is it just more shit to do? Like, is it just more? And I don't think that that's, I don't, I don't know that that's something that we can say across the board, like, well, when AP and honors are different, they're just more to do. No, not necessarily. And sometimes the more is useful because those kids are going to have to take an AP test and they're going to have to write three, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes there's like everything. What's the purpose, right? But like to Amanda's point, and honestly, I have literally never considered this question in my entire life until like I was today years old when I thought about this for the first time because I have only taught college prep classes. I have only... And I've kind of thought to myself, I think I'm good on honors and AP simply because my my like idea of it was, well, it's just so different. Like it's, I don't know, I I don't know. But like hearing this, I'm like, yeah, it should be the same. <laughs> it should be the same stuff. I mean, at least skill wise, you know, having and and, yeah. and this is a couple. So I'm I'm coaching a couple schools right now, and like that's the big conversation that we're having is what does a graduate look like. What does a graduate from our English department, our science department, our whatever department, what does that student look like? Period. And then what, what could that student's journey through our department look like? You know, and that kind of leads me to another, I have another unpopular opinion, which is I completely believe in the power of tracking and having leveled courses. I've been through so many schools that like don't want to 
label kids as certain, you know, tracks along their journey. And, you know, they've smashed two skill levels versus a full of kids together into one class and said, look it, it's equitable now. And it's like, dude, seriously, have you never been in a classroom? No, it's not. Teaching to the middle is a disaster every time. So we can't make that middle like so far away from the two other ends. But I totally believe that uh, looking at the journey of ninth through 12th grade, or some of you guys are in school seven through 12, what could that journey look like? Where could you start? Where can you go? Where could you end up? What is the recommendation policy when kids get to a certain level? How do we move them up? How do we move them into a place that's best suited for what they need and feel like they're getting what they need appropriately and not, I don't know, there's too much, I think, bottom up work that's going on in like terms of skills rather than top down. Uh, And that just is, is I think kind of heartbreaking, well, I don't know, especially in terms of rhetoric, I I was doing everything wrong. And I feel like also living through 2020, 2021 and seeing how poorly we understand rhetoric and how difficult it is for us to read messages in the media and commercials and general and how twisted social media is <laughs> with all of that. I feel like there are so yeah. many skills that we are kind of like hammering out plot diagrams all the way through to 11th grade. And it's like, but why? Right, right. To what end? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like how am I preparing this kid for their first job in retail right now? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's I definitely resonate with that a lot, just in terms of treatment and in terms of like really focusing on what matters. Do I think a regular or gen ed class should be writing a rhetorical analysis essay timed in 40 minutes? Uh, No, that's that is not the goal. A paragraph like responding to a prompt with with an arguable original claim backed up with some evidence and commentary. Heck yeah. Well, that's the difference in scaffolding, too, like that we're talking about. Like, that's it. That's that's it. Word count. That's what it looks like. And pacing, I think. Hey, look at that. <laughs> two really good places to start with scaffolding. Even if it's not written and out, just like the expectation, right? One paragraph versus a paper. I mean, that's I think yeah. really a good place to start. Yeah. I, I'm literally like my my brain's just going because I just never thought about having honors and college prep be the same stuff. Yeah. Why not? This is good. This is good. This is good. This has me thinking a lot. Thank you. This is very good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't, we didn't mean, I, me and poster didn't mean to break anybody's brain, but it all, it also depends on the size of your school. I think, you know, I, I, when we, we were at a relatively small school, both places that I worked, I, but I say relatively, but that's for like the Chicago suburbs. It was relatively small, but there, there was a very, very high likelihood that you would be going in between those levels on, you know, a lot of students would be moving from a gen ed to an honors and back to a gen ed or back up, Mm. like back and forth for whatever reason. And it was interesting to see how kids very distinctly understood the difference and for better and for worse. Sometimes the honors classes were avoided just because it was more stuff to do more work, which is not more rigor, like you said, and other times they were just really powerful. So I don't know. I think that's something to chew on. Well, and I think it has a lot to do with uh, your community because like mm. AP and honors come with a lot of prestige and label that sometimes kids who just aren't ready for it or like, you know what, sweetie, I think that like AP calc is totally you. I do not think that AP lit is you. <laughs> like, yeah. I just don't think that, right? but they stack their whole schedule full of AP yes. because they think that that's what they need um, because they don't understand what the world is. 
and like their kids. So they just don't know. Okay. And TBH, yeah. I think teachers treat each other differently too. If you're teaching oh, honors yeah. versus teaching. Gender. Ooh, she's the honors teacher. Mm. Ooh, he teaches AP. Or, like, oh my gosh, I could never cool. be an honors teacher. I had that thought for a couple minutes. Well, that's literally what I have every day. I'm, okay, so let's erase that. Uh, yeah, I know. No, I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's like, right. it's impossible. To your point, like, here yeah. we are. It's a bit, yeah. And also, like, me going, well, I really like my curriculum and I don't want to yeah, do totally. other kinds. Like, well, no, but because in my head, it has to be completely different because right now it is completely different. So it's just an interesting conversation. And we have uh, gone down the rabbit hole quite a bit. I hope everyone's like in it though. Like you, <laughs> you yeah. are with us. It's a totally day. <laughs> it is unpopular opinion day and just opinion day every day with Marie and Amanda is opinion day. <sighs> it's raining and I curled my hair. Unpopular opinion. Why do I waste my time doing my hair? Unpopular opinion. I'm in my tiny little office and I can't open the windows and I am sweating bullets, but cause there's a, a blower happening in the, yard next door and it's going to be so loud and I'm so warm. Well, I don't know if that's an unpopular opinion or just a, I think it's just state a statement of, of being. Yeah. yeah. What Marie's really trying to say is we're here to wrap things up so she can be less sweaty <laughs> and I'm going to go out in the rain and go pick up my children who don't always want to come home with me. That's also a popular opinion. The kids don't want to come home with mom. love daycare. So if anyone was like worried about taking their newborn to daycare, let me tell you what happens. They fall in love with their daycare provider and never want to come home, which is, you know, it's own thing. Which is, which is problematic in its own way. Yes. But well, friends, Thank you so much for joining us today for this part two of Unpopular Opinions. If this is something that you like, these kinds of little like chit chat moments, let us know on Instagram. Let us know through email. Please make sure that if you have a moment, you leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really does incredible things to help other people out there find us and join our little community of educators. And we just appreciate all of you. Thanks for listening to this. And we would appreciate you sharing this episode with someone who you think would enjoy this rambling session and have this ramble bamble. And maybe, maybe it's like the discussion starter for your next department meeting. Maybe some of these discussions like you really need to have. Yeah. I, we, I, we've said it before and we'll say it many times again. We are happy to take that pressure off of you. Like be like, Hey, I was listening to these two very talkative women just jammer on and on and on. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know how that would go as the intro, but there what, you go. What do you think about what Marie and Amanda have to say? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we should change everything about how we grade things. Good luck. Me too. <laughs> All right, friends. Luck, we are going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us. And I will be back with you next week. Just me. And then it'll be a whole new episode after that. So thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 